Support for The Bittersweet Life comes from listeners, people who love the show enough to donate at our website, thebittersweetlife.net, or through Patreon at patreon.com slash thebittersweetlifepodcast. Support also comes from Italy Beyond the Obvious, offering travel consulting and planning services for your next Italian vacation. ItalyBeyondTheObvious.com And if you run a business, a podcast, or any other kind of artistic endeavor, and you want a shout-out from us on our show, support us on Patreon at the $50 a month level. If you've never heard this show before, glad you found us. I'm Katie Sewell. I'm a longtime public radio producer and host who five years ago stepped off the path, quit my job, and moved to Rome. That was very out of character for me. But that's where this show begins, and where we begin exploring what happens when you take a risk. What happens when you decide to begin again? Or what happens when you move abroad, or even just away? Together we hope to discover what possibilities life is still offering us. My co-host is Tiffany Parks. She's a writer and an expat living in Rome for the last decade. She dreamed of moving to Rome, and so she went. No real plan other than to try. We're childhood friends, too. We met on the school bus in the sixth grade. Don't be afraid to start way back at the beginning of the show. That's when we're on the streets of Rome. And subscribe and join us today, too. We'll keep you in good company. And you might just change your life. Now, on with the show. Welcome to Rome. This is The Bittersweet Life with Katie Sewell and Tiffany Parks. Hello, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. I'm Tiffany Parks. And today... Today... What are we talking about? (laughs) Today, I'm asking Katie to open up a little bit about her experiences buying a house. Dun-dun-dun. Big, big... Big step, big step for a, yeah. a nomad like yourself. Uh, well, you you've been a nomad lately, at least. Yep, I know, and not one that you take lightly when you've been moving around so much. <laughs> I know, I know, and I I remember talking about home purchasing when I bought my apartment mm-hmm. about four years ago, no, three years ago, and I remember you saying a few things about it, and now you're on the other side of that experience as well so um thought it would be an interesting thing to chat about yes so we have long-time listeners and short-time listeners you now know that i have moved to seattle from san francisco after jumping around all over the place sort of back and forth to seattle but to rome to new orleans and then countless trips to like various little places in between i've really feel like i haven't been stable or rooted anywhere for quite a while. Yeah. And in deciding to move back to Seattle, we definitely had that debate of, is this another thing, a temporary thing, like a reset, and then we burst off again in some other direction? Or is this the thing? And I don't know if Derek and I had a difference of opinion, but I know that Derek really felt like and he hasn't been traveling as much as me either, but he really felt like, no, I want to be somewhere now. I know that he felt that way. He was, mm-hmm. he had tried California. He didn't like it. He wanted to move, but he didn't really want to have to move again. 
in the time that we've been together and the time that we've known each other, each of us have probably moved about six or seven times, Yikes. maybe even more. Yeah, that's a lot. You know, every year or so you're moving again and he had had it. He was like, there is no way I am moving again. Mm -hmm. Me, I'm a little bit more, eh, I don't know if I try Seattle and if it doesn't work out, I'll try something else. But anyway, we decided why not? try to buy something. Seattle's real estate market is so, uh, I don't know, rich, expensive, difficult to get into. And the prices just go up and up and up. And smart, Katie. See, I'm an artist type, so I've never had the money to get into the real estate market. But if I did, if I was one of those people who had really scrimped and saved and gotten in 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, the money I would have saved, Tiffany. <laughs> yeah, no, you cannot think that way, honey. Not with real estate. No, with anything, really. That's just, don't don't look back when it comes to investing. It's never going to make you feel good. Yeah, so it was sort of like a now or never kind of thing, because it's just going to get even more so, and it will get to a point sometime where me as an artist will not be able to live here anymore. That's just mm -hmm. the Seattle reality. <laughs> yeah, scary. And so it was sort of felt like a now or never thing, and, and Derek was very determined about even if you go off and do something else, I'm staying. And I'm going to live in this spot, you know? Uh, okay, then. Yeah, I mean, that sounds much more dire than it is, but um, but it was definitely like that. He, for him, it was very important not only to move back, but to root himself here. That's interesting because I wondered when you told... I was very surprised when you told me that you guys had uh, made an offer on a house. I was... Um, because you hadn't mentioned that that was even in the in the discussion. And, and in fact, I don't even think I knew you were planning to move back to Seattle, if I, if I can remember right. Yeah. So we were just chatting one day and you're like, oh, yeah, we put an offer on a house in Seattle. And I'm like, what? <laughs> because, you know, the last I knew you were, you know, you're living in San Francisco. You weren't in love with it. You were, you know, nostalgic about New Orleans. You were still had a little piece of your heart in Rome yeah. and, you know, thinking about other adventures. And so I wouldn't have been surprised if you'd said, yeah, we decided to move back to Seattle. But the fact that you were moving back and buying, that really surprised me. So now it makes more sense to know that it was something that Derek was really pushing for. Yeah, yeah. I think I dragged my feet about it the entire way. <laughs> but, you know, it's not just that. I also... I'm not a person who really likes to be in debt. Well, yeah. So I think it was also that. And I know that real estate is different in that it's an investment and it's a debt that supposedly builds towards something else. And I get all that. But I just hate owing money to somebody else. And of course you do if you're a renter too. But I'm definitely one of those people that has never had a really nice car because I've never wanted to have a car payment or mm -hmm. I don't do things that I can't afford at that moment. Well, that's very wise of you. Thank you. I have to say I dragged my feet buying our apartment as well. It was the same sort of situation. Claudio really wanted, you know, to make the investment and to build towards something that then we would own. And I just was kind of like, well, Really, what's the difference, though? Because either you spend your whole life, especially if, you, if you're starting a mortgage when you're you know, at our stage in life. You know, it's one thing if you buy a house when you're 20 and you can pay off the mortgage by the time you're 40. But we're starting closer to 40. Let's just put it like that. Um, <laughs> and so you're like, okay, here I'm going to be 
I'm going to be paying off this house for like the rest of my working life, basically. Yeah. Really, what's the difference? The difference is that I'm tied to this place. I can't just pick up and move. And mm. of course, I know there's much more to it than that. But I, I really, I think as, a, as an expat and someone who dreams of living in other places, even though I've lived here for 15 years now, but I've always dreamed of living in lots of different places, it really kind of freaked me out. Mm -hmm. The idea of, okay, now I own a place and I can't just leave. Yeah. And there's no nimbleness to that. You know, what really freaked me out was the idea that instead of maybe getting to travel, I might have to replace a hot water tank. Yeah, <laughs> you know exactly. Was? It's so, there's so many, there's so many expenses that come with homeowning, especially if you own like a, like your own independent home. I'm in a, in an apartment building, so it's a little bit different. I don't have to like replace a roof. That'll never be my reality, but other things, yes. And yeah, it's um, it's kind of horrific. Well, it's such boring things to to spend your money on. Mm -hmm. But I mean, that said, so we <laughs> we also picked out this place really rapidly. So, but then we also did the calculation of well, we can buy a house, and let's say it's not working out. We don't really want to be here. We don't. Seattle's wrong. This neighborhood's wrong. We figured out that if inflation continues as it is in Seattle, we would only need to be able to hold the house for three years before we could sell it and break even, like not lose money. I mean, if everything goes well. But once you thought three years, then it did feel it is still a permanent investment, but it did feel like, well, three years isn't that long. Yeah, you could get out of it if you had to. Yeah, I mean, it, it stands to reason that we would be here for three years anyway, just mm -hmm. working, you know, so yeah. to try to save up for the next adventure. Mm -hmm. And we would be paying rent that whole time. And so in a way, once he kind of said it that way, it made more sense. I didn't even share with you that we were moving because I didn't know if it was going to be able to happen. Mm -hmm. I knew that I really wanted to leave San Francisco. I knew that he also really wanted to leave, but he really liked his job. So he was a little bit more in the in-between. So we just didn't know if we would be able to get permission to move. And so once it, we got that permission, then we were really ready to go. I had been ready to go for probably <laughs> a year, <laughs> but yeah. uh, we were really ready to go. And so we flew up here for a long weekend with the intent of looking around just to see what houses were on the market. We weren't necessarily going to buy anything, but we were going to try to see every single thing that was for sale that weekend in various neighborhoods. Oh, God. And we looked at so many places. Oh, my goodness. It was a whirlwind. It, and, and we did have a real estate agent friend that was helping us. But, of course, he can't dedicate all day every day for that so we were going to every open house we could go to sounds exhausting we were committed to seeing everything that was in the market can you give us like a ballpark of about how many places you saw uh, i don't know 35 wow in one weekend well it was a three-day weekend Oof, still <laughs> that's 10 places a day more than 10 places a day yeah that's maybe it was a four a day lot. it was some sort of national holiday that we tacked on a couple days so derek didn't have to miss work it was a whirlwind. That's all I can tell you. And and so many of the places we saw were disappointing at best. The floor is sinking into the ground. A beautiful piece of land, but the house on it would need to be ripped to the ground. That's the reality of the Seattle real estate market. You know, you have to be willing to buy a piece of garbage and fix it. That's how Rome is as well, actually. Yeah. Unless you buy a brand new place like we did. But most places it's like, okay... 
this is the apartment and you're going to have to put in about a hundred thousand euros into it to like fix it up. Yeah. Good luck. Mm -hmm. And we really didn't want to do that. Basically in deciding what house to buy, picked the one that we thought made the most sense that we saw that weekend, if you can imagine. So I don't know if it was the best house. It was sort of the one that we could see ourselves living in. We're also just two people. So we really didn't want to live in a big, huge place because I didn't want to have to clean it nor do we have any furniture, you know, we've been moving around the world forever. So <laughs> the house is, is little, it's a very modest little house. But it's adorable. Yeah, but it's a little tiny house. It's not like a little, little tiny house. It's not like we're living in one room. We actually have multiple rooms we can be in now, where it's, if you've been a long time listener, you know that in San Francisco, we basically lived in the same room on top of each other for two years straight. So wouldn't it be great if there was a second floor so that I could be up there and you could be down there and I wouldn't have to know you even home? <laughs> <laughs> oh, the tricks to a happy marriage. We found a little place where they had converted their attic into like a little room. And that's where you are right now. That's where I am. And it's so lovely. Right it's just so lovely. I just want to go there. I know. You have to come visit. It's got built-in bookshelves on the side. Yeah, they did a really it's, good job. It's got a tiny little mini back bedroom, right, with mm -hmm. skylight. It's really cute. We've been debating like what kind of a bed could actually fit in here. It can be the cat's room. <laughs> yeah, it can be the cat's room. I'll set it up. <laughs> anyway, but I think actually part of what sold us on this one, because we actually found a house that we liked better in the South End, but it was the nicest house on a really rundown block. And the only reason we didn't buy that one was that three-year plan, that exit plan. That whole block was full of modest homes, but it was the nicest one of the modest homes on the block. And, but on a block like that, it's going to take a while to turn. It will not turn as fast. And so when we had that three-year timeline in our head of if we do want to get out, what house will sell faster? And we also picked it because it was one of the only houses that we saw where you could tell that the people who owned it before really loved it here. It was extremely well cared for, which when we saw 35, 40 homes, so many of them weren't. They were bought by developers and flipped or they were had been neglected and were crumbling or maybe the person loved it but they couldn't keep it up as they got older and so it just sort of deteriorates around them and these people they were a little fastidious in their decisions of what to do it was the, one of the only houses we saw that was earthquake retrofitted which in Seattle is a big deal. Wow. <laughs> and you know, you could just tell that they did that because they liked this house. You yeah. know, they wanted it to withstand the massive earthquake. So let me ask you a question. So a couple of years ago, before you guys moved to San Francisco, you were living in a house that you loved. Oh, yeah. A house that you lived in before you moved to Rome. If I remember correctly, you were living there when you first got married. And then yeah, you sublet it, correct? Mm -hmm. And then you moved back. It was a rental of property. Yeah, it was a rental, but you loved it there and you had to move because the owner decided to sell the property and have it torn down and they built some condos there. And you were really, I mean, I remember your article, you wrote an article on it, about it. And, you know, it was, it, it hurt you from what I remember. It was very yeah. nostalgic for you to know that that place wasn't there. Now that you're a homeowner, I mean, obviously, you know, natural disasters aside and the state deciding they want to like build a freeway where your house is, <laughs> tell you, you know, but I mean, these rare occurrences aside, you now own a home that no one can kick you out of. I mean, unless you, you know, stop paying the mortgage, of course. Right. Does that at all make you feel 
is it comforting for you or is it is that not even part of the equation yes it is in a sense i'm just keep going back to derek for derek that was extremely important he was so tired of not having control of where he was living Mm -hmm. or that if you wanted to paint a wall you had to ask somebody's permission and they could say no being kicked out of the ballard house was uh, extremely traumatic for us partly because i had lived there a long time he had moved in with me after we got married but we just loved that place we loved its location we loved its vibe to like a place so much and have it be just taken away from you ripped out from under you yeah yeah and then of course you have to move quickly to another place and the the other place was nice but it just wasn't the same we had created a whole neighborhood vibe it was also a a subdivided house that we lived in and we had moved in one of my high school friends upstairs and we were good friends with the guy that lived below us and so we had a whole community built into this house yeah so that was a loss too because we all separated for me having the experience of living in a place for the very first time in my adult life, because of course, living with your parents is different, to live in a place where I don't hear other people walking Mm. or talking Mm. is very strange. I love it. I do love it. (laughs) And I hate to say this because I, who knows if my old San Francisco neighbors listen to this podcast, hopefully not. (laughs) Kind of the breaking point In San Francisco, we were living in the basement of a subdivided place. And while the people upstairs were fairly quiet overall, they had a child that was very disgruntled, (laughs) extremely disgruntled. And she would scream and cry for long periods of time every day in the morning and in the nighttime. Then they had a baby. Oh, God. The baby crying actually wasn't as bad. <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, she really, really would panic and scream. And for both of us and for the cats, actually, who sort of lived in a state of readiness and alarm, uh, <laughs> that was also a breaking point. I mean, to live with that much noise and sort of, I don't know, child screaming when, when you're not in charge of it and you didn't invite it into your life. Yeah. We're still dealing with that, even though we are house homeowners, we're still, we've got like the worst of both worlds because we've got um, a family with two little kids who live upstairs. Mm -hmm. They're kind of our friends and their daughters play with Aurelio Mm -hmm. and they run around the house a lot. So like bang, 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 bang. They make a ton of noise and we're like, well, whatever, you know, we're parents too. We get it. So we never complain. But the guy below us who's single, lives with his aging mother he gives us such a hard time about Aurelio. And Aurelio is, so, I mean, he's so good. <laughs> Every so often, he'll, he'll like run around the house as kids do. Like, you know, kids just run wherever they go. Have you ever seen a kid? They just run. Oh, yeah, <laughs> for sure. Life is exciting. Yeah, he'll run into his room and he'll run back. And Claudia will be like, stop running. Marcello's going to come up and get mad at us. <laughs> and so like we've got to deal with the, the noise above, but we can't make any noise for the people below. So it's like the word. It was like, <laughs> wish we had the family below and the single guy above, but we don't. So, um... I'm envious of you there, but I totally get what you're saying about not being at someone else's mercy because it's really a stressful thing to know that your living situation is not permanent. You know, in Italy, what happens is they're like, okay, I need this apartment for my nephew. Mm -hmm. I need this apartment for my daughter. Italy has very strict tenant rules. The onus is on the owner and the owner, you know, has to follow all these rules, which oftentimes they don't. So they shouldn't be able to kick you out just willy-nilly, but they often do. And it gets worse in the United States. 
and yeah it's it puts a lot of anxiety on you especially if you have to find a new place really quickly and I think that your home whether it's your home that you own or a home that you rent it's such a big part of your peace of mind if that is not secure I think that it can cause a lot of internal strife Mm -hmm. that's one plus side of owning although I don't know that it financially makes sense I I haven't I saw an article, I didn't read it because I was like, I'm not going to read this, it's going to depress me. But I did see something pass by on Twitter that was like, studies show it is not worth it to buy your own home. <laughs> I'm like, great. It switches every year. Yeah. yeah. It's funny because I, as sentimental person I am, I have, generally speaking, been okay wherever I'm living most of the time. I'm all, But I'm also, I'm a weird blend because I'm also an aesthetic. I can't stand if things are disordered in a certain way. Mm-hmm if the vibe's off enough, I have a hard time getting work done. Yeah. But that said, yeah, like that lack of control. But even still, I've been able to sort of make the most of almost anywhere I've ever lived. Well, you're a pretty adaptable person. Yeah. It was extremely traumatizing to get kicked out of that apartment that they built nine townhomes on, this one little house. It was traumatizing in a way because I had allowed myself to fantasize that one day the landlord would love me so much he would offer the house to me or like he would give me the opportunity to buy it or he would leave it to me in his will. (laughs) You know, I used to always just dream that something like that would be possible. So to sort of find with no notice that it was just gone and that we had to get out was difficult because it also was difficult because I felt like that wasn't our relationship. I thought we had a better relationship than that than to be called by the bank and be told that you have to get out. Yeah, that was the uncool thing. Like, I think he owed it to you to tell you in person and not have the bank tell you. Yeah, I, I think he must have felt, knowing him, he would have felt awkward about that. He was also very sentimental about the house himself, so it probably wasn't an easy decision for him to make. When he was newly married, him and his wife, that was their first house, and they raised their kids in that house. So I'm sure it was a difficult place to let go. We also had a woman once stop by and ring the doorbell and ask if she could come into our house because her father had died there. Oh my gosh. I know. And we said, sure. And she just went into one of the back bedrooms and sat back there alone for a half an hour. So the house had a ton of history. It used to have these two old women that lived in it that were nearing a hundred and they had moved into as roommates. And they used to sit in the rose, there was a rose garden outside and they used to sit in the rose garden on a porch swing and talk to each other. There were all sorts of cool. There were lots of ghosts in that house, maybe. Maybe a lot of ghosts in that house. But I mean, there was another house that I loved equally as a rental that I would have stayed in for a long time too. And we had a terrible winter one winter and it just started to mold. Mm. And so I had to get out. And of course, these hazards are the same if you're buying a house to renting it. It's possible that this place could mold, you know, if we don't pay enough attention to it. But it stands to reason that you could see it coming and you might be able to do something about it. Whereas if you're a renter, if they don't want to put a new roof on the place, there's nothing you can do. You can decide to live there or not live there. Yeah. That's about it. But also, on the other hand, on the other side of the coin, it, you know, if your roof starts molding and you're an owner, you're not just going to be like, okay, I'm out of here. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. You're probably not going to have a very good time selling a moldy house. I mean, maybe maybe you will. I guess Seattle has, like you said, such a difficult housing. But you're probably not going to do that. You're going to be like, okay, let me deal with this. Mm-hmm. What do I have to do to stop the moldy selling? But I grew up in kind of a very idyllic place, as you know, on Lake Washington. A really lovely home from the 1960s. 
with a really beautiful garden and a little tiny beach. And it was just wonderful. I mean, the memories I have from that house. Oh, I try not to think about it because when I think about it, it just, it pains me. Um, my mom sold the house about the same time I moved abroad, about a year or two after I moved to Rome, she sold the house and uh, moved down to Arizona. And I knew that, that it had been completely redone. You know, I tried not to think about it, but I couldn't resist going back. I wanted to show when it wasn't this past time I was in the States. It was in 2017 when I went with Claudio and Aurelio and Claudio had never been to Seattle. So I took him to the island. I showed him the first house that we lived in until I was three, which of course I had to call my mom and ask the address to because I couldn't even recognize it. I couldn't find it. And then I took him down to the house where I really grew up. And oh my gosh, Katie, it is so big. They took an already pretty big house and they like built it up three times as high. And I, I mean, I don't even know how they did it. It's just, it's just gargantuan. It's like the most enormous thing. And it was hilarious because the people who own it now are Chinese and they live there a very short periods of the year. I'm not sure, maybe a couple months out of the year they live there, probably live there in the summer. So I, I rang the doorbell and this older Chinese man answered the doorbell. And I swear to you, Katie, they did not speak one word of English, not one. Mm. How do I explain that I used to live here? And so he called someone on the phone and he put me on the phone with this person who clearly was able to translate for me. And I told him and it took a while to finally like explain and they got it. They got it. And they're like really happy that we were there. And actually they were very, very kind. And they, they let us go down to the to the garden and we walked around and took some pictures. The lakefront is all the same. The little of beach course. is the same. Yeah. I think the dock is the same as well because the dock was co-owned with our next door neighbors who are still there and their house, which was built by the same architect as our house, is exactly the same. Like all the other houses have been redone. These gargantuan, gigantic, you know, money pits. Whereas <laughs> our next door neighbor's house is still like this, you know, 1960s all wood, let's Seattle style. Yeah. And so anyways, the dock is still there and they're like, come into the house, come into the house. I mean, I don't know what they said in Chinese, but we got what they were trying to say, the gestures. <laughs> and they gave us a tour of the house. I mean, Katie, it was, I mean, it was obscene. It was absolutely obscene. But but was it obscene or was it obscene because it was the erasing of your... Well, that's what made it... Not that it could ever erase your childhood memory, but the erasing of what the house was <laughs> yeah. as you see each new room. Yeah, know? I mean, the hard part was I'm like, I'm trying to figure out, I'm standing in the house. I'm like, okay, where am I? Am I in my room? Like, is this where physically my room was? Is this the spot? It's like when you go into like ancient Roman sites this is the site, you know, this was the kitchen or like, you know, if you're in Pompeii, like this was at one time a cafe and you're like, oh my gosh, I'm standing in the spot and it looks totally different now, but it was mm -hmm. this. And so I'm um, not quite as, you know, historic, but I'm standing like, am I in my bedroom right now? Because I lived on the ground floor, as you know, is this where my bedroom was? I'm like looking out the window, trying to see like, is this the view that I had? Of course, the dogwood tree that was out my window is no longer there. And yeah, it made me very nostalgic because I mean, I lived there from three to 18 and then kept going back until about 27, 28. And it's just gone. It's just gone. And it was hard. You know, it's interesting because so when we finally did get this house, we got to Seattle and I, I talked in another episode a bit about the delays that we experienced arriving here. But we drive up to Seattle, we get the keys to the house and our stuff gets stuck in California for an extremely long period of time. And so we now have this house, but we have nothing. Can't move into it. We don't have any of our 
anything. <laughs> Nothing's here. So we we're still staying with my parents. Mm -hmm. But as a result of that, I think we kind of took ownership of it in a way that we might not have if our stuff was there and we were able to move in in the sense that part of wanting to own a house, Derek really wanted to paint the house. And the house was much of the downstairs floor was all this rosy beige color, which, you know, is fine. You can live with a rosy beige color. And Derek kept saying, it's too rosy. It's too rosy. And I said, okay, we can change it. But the number one thing I want to change is I want to change the kitchen and the kitchen was a bright yellow and for whatever reason everybody just went ah oh, a bright yellow kitchen I know people love them but for whatever reason I've always hated yellow kitchens <laughs> for me personally I can live with the paint in the rest of this house but we've got to change the kitchen and so that was the first thing we did was we painted the kitchen a light blue color instead but then the stuff wasn't here. And so we ended up painting every single room of the house. And it was an absolute nightmare because <laughs> painting that much oh my gosh. really hurts. Painting oh my gosh, so physically taxing. It is so much more work than you think it's going to be. It was so much work. And we even painted uh, the living room one color. And when we were sitting in the middle of the floor and Derek's like, I can't live with this. <laughs> oh, no. So we painted it a totally different color. So we did that twice and we did the dining room twice. Anyway, all this is to say that when we finally did move in, a lot had been changed just in how it looked. It's not like we knocked down walls or rebuilt a, the upper floor or anything like your experience. But I did meet the woman who owned this house. She stopped by to pick up some things that they had forgotten in the basement and to say hello. And I invited her in to come take a look. And she walked in and she's looking around it turned out they'd lived here for over 30 years. Wow. And she's looking around and she looks in the kitchen and she looks in the dining room and then she looks in the two bedrooms and they're all, remember, radically different looking than she let me remember. And I said, do you want to see the upstairs? And she said, no, I've seen enough. <laughs> was very kind about it, but walked to the door and was... Thank you so much for saving this stuff in the basement. It's been a pleasure to meet you. And I think it might have been, I didn't ask her, but I think it might have been one of those same things where you're you're walking in and you're automatically seeing, oh, it's not, it's only been a month and it's not even the same place that I left behind. Yeah. And I think sometimes, especially if you've lived there 30 years, you want to kind of remember it as it was. You don't want to have this new vision of it be the last thing that you see. Yeah. Yeah, I might not have gone inside. If she was nice and she did say, you guys do have really wonderful taste in color palette. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> thank you so much. Yeah, I know. And I think that that's true. So let me ask you one last question before we wrap up. Yeah. What effect is owning a home going to have on your possibility of moving back to Rome? <laughs> <laughs> Which is, my master plan is to get Katie back to Rome, as everyone knows. Yeah. Um, I mean, just moving abroad anywhere, not necessarily to Rome. Just like having a new adventure. I hope it doesn't have that much of an effect at all, but who knows? Who knows? I mean, right now, I mean, I mentioned that Derek's job, you know, is a better paying job than ones he's had in the past. But my work life really was a challenge in San Francisco. And so right now it's almost like hunkered in and being like, oh God, you know, you got to establish some sort of routine of income. Mm -hmm. Just establish like, what do I want to do? It's almost like I want to just take a moment to think, okay, I'm not doing what I used to be doing in Seattle or San Francisco or Rome or whatever. I need to figure out what it is I want to be doing now. 
I just need to stay here for a minute and go, what am I doing now? Even if it means I never pick up a job and I just move immediately, at least take the time to journal and think like, if you don't want to be like a radio producer, or as I always say, the woman behind the man, what is it that you actually want? Oh, Katie, you'll never be that. <laughs> you will never be No, that. no, I have been that. No, I'm not talking about my marriage. I'm talking about my job has always been to facilitate another person's ah, your job. career. Like my job as a producer is to make sure the host knows what he's doing. I see what He's you mean. the front and center person, right? Or, you know, to support this artist mm-hmm. in their research to do X, Y, Z, right? Right. And so part of me wants to, to be the artist more than I have been in the past. But what does that actually look like? And so I think a little bit of the, at least it roots me enough where I have to think. But that said, I mean, I think about going to Rome all the time or going to somewhere in Italy all the time and, or even another country, frankly. So my long answer to your question is it doesn't totally count it out. I think what would count it out more would be if something shifts in my career, a big compelling reason to stay here. I feel like that would be more than the house. Okay, fair enough. Yeah. I just want to say mm-hmm. one amazing thing about homeowning is if you're up for it, you could do without having to get anyone's permission, you could do house swapping, house sharing or whatever you call it. House swapping, isn't that what it's called? Yeah, yeah. House exchange. And I mean, you have an incredibly sought after location and you've got a comfortable house for multiple people. It's in very good shape hey, you feel like you really need to spend a month in Italy, you and Derek, you know? I don't know if his work could be done remotely for a month. I don't know how it is. But I mean, you could like swap your house and get a gorgeous apartment in Bologna for a month. Right? Yeah. I mean, that's like my fantasy, honestly. It's just that my husband would never go for it because he would (laughs) never, ever allow any random person to live in this house. He's too protective of everything so we, we can't do it <laughs> i know that when we when we first bought this place you were like now we can do a house swap and we were like yeah and then we both like went oh but then we would get to hang out <laughs> <laughs> yeah going to seattle if you aren't there that's not fun but then we could just switch it so that i was here for part of it and mm-hmm. then i was gone and you took yeah. over so yeah. yeah yeah we would trust you guys we just wouldn't trust strangers yeah i mean i would Claudio wouldn't. Yeah, I mean, I trust strangers. I'm more trusting. You just have to talk to them. I sublet my last place to a stranger. Well, the idea, if you're in their house, right? Yeah. They're taking the if same they rent. trash mine, I'm trashing theirs. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but I will say just to end that the number one question I've been getting from people is, how does it feel to be back? And I got to say, it feels great to be back. In this long conversation that we've had about home, it's been really, really nice to be here again. Good. Yeah. And I don't think that has to do with ownership either. I think it has to do with a familiarity of the weather and the people and having all of these professional connections back. Mm -hmm. It's been more of a relief than I would have expected. Well, that's good. I'm happy to hear that. Yeah. We should leave it there. Yes. And until next time, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. I'm Tiffany Parks. Oh, wait, can I say one more thing? Go. (laughs) One more thing. So we've been getting some emails, great emails about road tripping i've been delaying doing that show because i want more feedback and we want to do a show about life on the road taking a road trip and some of the specific questions we were asking was is there a particular food or drink that you only consume when you're on the road that you wouldn't eat otherwise Mm -hmm. another question is what kind of things do you listen to do you have an, an ultimate road trip song And why does it feel like a road trip song to you? 
And the third question is, I guess, if you've ever been on a really great road trip or a really horrific one, what made it one way or the other? If you have stories in that way, we would love to hear them. I really do want more people's input on this road trip show because road trips also have that kind of collective coming together and journeying, you know, and encountering people all along the road. So if we could make the show feel like that too, I would love that. Yeah, so please send us your stories. You can email us at bittersweetlife at mail, M-A-I-L dot com. Or you can send us a voice memo also to our website. Yes, you can also visit thebittersweetlife.net and hit the contact us button if that's easier for you to remember. Or you can just drop us a line on social media, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at The Bittersweet Life Podcast. And of course, those of you who are on Patreon, patreon.com slash The Bittersweet Life Podcast, you have a direct line to talking to us, hit message, and a message comes to us through that. So that's another way. And you can support the show in the meantime. Yes, big shout out to all our Patreon patrons. Yes, thank you so much for your support. And for those of you who donate through our website too, thank you so much for your support. And by the way, I should also mention, uh, one time we were thanking a bunch of people on this show and my mom was like, where's my name? (laughs) Did I tell you that? No, you didn't. (laughs) My mother has been the biggest supporter of this show from the very beginning. She gives me a check every month. That says in the four line podcast support. So thank you to Ginny for your support all along. And until next time, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. I'm Tiffany Parks. Join us again. Bye. And the best ways that you can support this program right now is to text a friend and tell them to subscribe. Or if you're sitting with a friend or if you're in the office, tell people about the show. Shout it from the mountaintops. Write about it, write a review on Apple Podcasts, talk about it on social media, share our posts. You have the power. Just by being you out in the world, you can keep this show going. Secondly, if you have the means, become a Patreon donor to the show. All new donors are getting a beautiful Caravaggio-themed magnet right now until I run out of supply. I have stuck mine to the back of my car, so if you're in Seattle, keep your eyes open for me. (laughs) 